Thanks for joining us. Thanks for making this part of your day. I'm your host, Matt Moore. You can find me on Twitter at HB Basketball and the show on Twitter at Locked On Nuggets. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Helps us out a ton with all things promotional. Today's episode is brought to you by SportsBetting.com. SportsBetting.com is going to offer new players a welcome bonus, a 100% risk-free week of sports betting up to $500. Visit SportsBetting.com backslash Locked On Nuggets today. Today's guest is Christopher Dempsey from Altitude. Uh, Chris has been on with me before. He is a longtime, longtime reporter on the Nuggets. Worked for the Denver Post, where he covered the Nuggets on and off for several years. Went to Altitude. Knows the team really well. Knows basketball really well. He's an insightful guy to talk to, and I love every time I get a chance to podcast with him. He was gracious enough to join me on this Friday. So here's my conversation with Christopher Dempsey. All right, Chris. So today, the big news is that the report came out of the Athletic that the NBA Board of Governors met today, um, and there was there was reports from ESPN as well. News basically broke that the NBA is still pushing for a Christmas start date. Uh, Shah Sharania of the Athletic reported uh, December twenty second, two days before Christmas, because sure, that makes sense. <laughs> um, it is as we speak today. Friday, October 23rd, the NBA Finals ended uh, less than 15 days ago. The Denver Nuggets played until October. Mm -hmm. This would give them basically two months to recover from a playoff run, even with the four-month interim, before they would have to be back for training camp, some sort of training camp ahead of a season start. This, to me, seems ludicrous and impossible. Am I wrong? You know what? I would have agreed with you um but you know I, I think there's there's a lot of layers to this now and and one of them is is listen the, the nba is going to bring this to the players and say you can make more money if we start the season on this date and that's going to be a very uh, persuasive argument uh, for starting the the season that early but you're right but i, I think that here's the layers if you were the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Miami Heat, the Boston Celtics, you played into October. Nobody else did. And if, even if you made the bubble, uh, the majority of those teams were probably gone by the middle of September. So they've had a little bit of an extended rest right prior to, right after having, you know, a three and a half month rest, uh, quote unquote, um, after the uh, season was paused due, due to the uh, global pandemic. So there's been a lot of rest in there. And if you didn't make the bubble at all, you haven't played a game since at least March 11th. And so you're going on the better part of a calendar year without having played basketball. So they, if you're the NBA, you can pretty, I think, persuasively look at these teams and sell them, hey, listen, you haven't played a lot of basketball in a year. And so your rest is probably not as big an issue as we might have thought it was going to be, you know, kind of going into this and, and talking through this stuff with uh, pre- uh, preliminarily, I should say. Um, so I, I think if you're, if you're the final four teams, it's a little bit, it gets a little bit dicey. Um, everybody else, it's probably not as dicey. And if you are the Lakers, you probably just don't care because you won and you'll get yourself into the next season anyway. But I think the NBA really desperately wanted to stay away from the Olympics. It's, it's very obvious that that's, that was a big deal to them because even in the reports that you just mentioned, uh, the, the, the NBA would start the season 
right prior to Christmas and then only play 72 games so that they can get through their entire playoffs and crown a champion before the Olympics start. Now, we know that some of the players play, obviously, on, on these, these teams internationally. I don't know that the organizations would care one way or another. As a matter of fact, they probably would want their players in their actual markets and not playing in the Olympics. But the NBA is very cognizant of that and aware and wants that to happen. Also, they don't want to be playing television games against the Olympics on television. And so, you know, you have these motivating factors going on. And that's why I think we saw, you know, the initial information was this season wasn't going to start until at least January. But then all of a sudden today, this flood of, okay, let's push to do this right, right prior to the beginning of the year. Yeah, I just think that there's other problems that are in place, like, you know, the draft in the middle of next month. And then essentially you're talking about like a two week free agency period, which that's Mm -hmm. honestly fine. Like July 1 is the start of free agency. And usually by July 14th, we're done. Like most of the deals are done by July 14th. There's some stragglers. There can be some stragglers heading into training camp. That's fine. But that's a lot of, the bigger problem is that they have to get, they have to get the cap figure. They have to negotiate the CBA and Mm -hmm. figure out what they're doing next year. They have to figure out the luxury tax structures. There's a lot of concerns from the smaller markets that they're going to be faced with a financial crunch while the big markets, which already are already flush with cash are going to basically receive leniency on tax payments, which means that Steve Ballmer is going to be like, get everyone, buy (laughs) everyone. Um, And so they have to figure all of this out and then structure it and then try and figure out a new protocol for a season, which I know that they've been working on. I was very much in favor of like, look, I trust the NBA to pull off the bubble. They're putting this out far enough. They're going to put together a good manual. They put out a 108 page manual. It was solid. They got through it. It worked. I have no doubt that if they do this, that they'll figure out the best way to do it. But part of me is just like, guys, like the, starting on Christmas seems like you are pushing this really hard when it's mm-hmm. like, just go back to at least MLK. Um, yeah. The other thing I just, I just feel like trying to cram in seven, they're, they're going to be like, we got it. We, we, we managed to cut off 10 games in the schedule. And I'm like, I don't know. That's enough. Like the biggest <laughs> right. thing is let's not make the basketball worse so that we've got a huge rush of injuries like mm-hmm. nine months off is probably going to cause some issues with guys trying to get back into shape after all that time. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the opposite problem with teams like the heat, the Lakers, the nuggets um, and the Celtics who played so late and then trying to get back into it. Like this just seems like it's right for problems. And I get that the almighty dollar is going to decide it. That's what decided the bubble going forward. But mm-hmm. I'm like, there's still money here, especially with like the concern about the Olympics yeah. Guys, we, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. We're, right. like, the world's on fire in Colorado, literally. Like, let's, let's see if we can just, like, I, I feel like that's, that's trying to be concerned about way too many things versus trying to control the universe that you can control. Yeah, well, you know, it's, you know, so for 72 games, I mean, you know, listen, it's, it goes back to, you know, why they played the eight seeding games in the first place. And that was to get to that, you know, 70, 72, 74 game threshold for the the local revenue dollars to kick in. And so they have to get to that. So, I mean, they're not going to play anything less than that. So they have to at least go 72. They're not going to go 82, um, obviously, because they don't want to extend the season into the summer. Players obviously have uh, reservations about season after season playing into the summer and their vacations and whatnot. Um, You know, okay. Uh, But, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the COVID concerns, you know, the NBA 
right off the top, one of the issues they wanted, they wanted fans in the stands. And that was really one of the driving factors as to why they would push the season back to, to not the, you know, the, the, not to start it um, as soon as they could start it. You know, and I think this in part is a little bit of a concession that, well, maybe that's just not going to be a thing as quickly uh, as they had hoped. And maybe that's just going to be something that they're going to have to sacrifice and, and be okay with sacrificing, um, you know, not having, having arenas with no fans in the stands, having some arenas maybe with whatever percent capacity that the, the state and local municipalities will allow there to be for those um, and just not worry about that. I think that's the one concession that they, they were not willing to make early because obviously, you know, in live, you know, the revenue they get from uh, fans in the stands, Adam Silver estimated to be about 40% you know, of, of the, the total pie. And so it's huge. And so for them to kind of give that up in, you know, in, in terms to, to satisfy all these other factors sort of gives you, you know, a, a little window into, into what they're thinking and why they're thinking it. But I do, I really do, Matt, believe that if the Olympics had been played, and there was not that that sitting out there that this would be a little bit different, that we would still be starting uh, in the middle of January, that the season would go into the summer, late summer, uh, and then they would start to work the calendar backwards over the next few years. Uh, this is also going to reset the calendar fairly. It's going to allow them to do that fairly quickly. Um, it's, it's even though they have made overtures about, hey, let's start the season later and let's maybe switch the calendar around. I have seen no evidence that they really want to do that. And this, to me, is another example of them going to the, the NBA, going to work that, that situation backwards. So um, I think it's not ideal. And you just pointed out about a thousand reasons why it's not ideal, especially with this truncated, um, you know, offseason from the finals to what would be the, uh, you know, the expected start of the next season. Um, but they're just going to have to bite the bullet. You know, October 30th is the deadline, you know, for, for the, for the uh, negotiations um, that you just mentioned with, with the, the CBA. Um, so they're just going to have to sit, sit down, get all this stuff hammered out, get a season going, get that season over with, and then, you know, have the late summer into, into next fall to start to stretch things out to make them look a little bit more normal. And then by then, hopefully, obviously, we'll, the, the pandemic will be in it a little bit more control as well. Yeah, you'd hope so. All right, yeah. we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the Nuggets and what we learned about this team and the fascinating turn of who this team has become. They'll be when we come back on Locked on Nuggets. But first, so it's 2020 and it's exhausting to be in 2020 and there's exhausting on a number of levels and I'm balancing family and all these things and I need the energy to break through everything, especially under this cloud of smoke we're under and work out and push through. And that's where... Built Go works for me. Whether it's a mental or physical wall, you can break through it with Go every single day. Easy to take in 1.5 ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever. You can put it in your golf bag to power through that back nine. Or you can put it in your pocket to get through your day. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so you get better results for your body. You got in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, that one's really good, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. How does Built, Built Go work so well? Well, it combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast absorbing, so it gets into my system fast. Plus, it's easy on the stomach. Built Go is loaded with good stuff to ignite my work, like beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. Built Go then kicks to keep me going strong with B6, B12. 
10,000% of your daily B12 percentage. Collagen promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. This stuff literally makes you look better. And we could all use that, am I right? Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. We'll be right back on LOCKED. Back here on Locked On Nuggets, Chris Dempsey. Chris, so you and I have been around the team for so long, and we know that this team has consistently been, uh, I'll just go ahead and say it, they've been some space cadets sometimes. Like, they're just, <laughs> like, their focus was always a problem, as young teams tend to do. Like, it's hard to get them to focus. It's hard to get them uh, to dial in. It's hard, and especially with this group, with, you know, Nikola Jokic's personality and, um, just the entire attitude of the team was always, they would show up for the, even when they were younger, they would show up for big games versus the Warriors or whoever, and then, or the Lakers, and then they would like completely just not no show versus the Hawks. We even see a lot of, a little bit of that in the regular season last year still. Um, I think 2018, 19 was their best season of getting away from that. But then the playoffs, like, it's remarkable to me that the identity of this team is now they are the most mentally tough team in the NBA. Like, that is pretty much undeniable given how they played in the bubble, the consecutive 3-1 comebacks, um, their resiliency focus, and, and the way that they played. When you watch all this unfold, what were you thinking when they go from this team that you couldn't necessarily count on night to night as recently as, like, the Jazz series and to this team <laughs> – that like apparently we could just never count out because of how mentally tough they are. Yeah, it was uh, very interesting to watch, and you know what? I, I think I'll, I'll attack this from a different uh, from a different angle, and that is, yeah, the, the Nuggets were certainly susceptible to putting stinkers on the court. I mean, that's just a fact of the matter against teams uh, that we all believe that they should have handled on those particular nights. Um, they were also the team that, on any particular night, given you know, handed some adverse situations, would come up with some improbable victories. And I mean, I, I remember the 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 back to back in less than twenty four hours, uh, home and then at Milwaukee. And Milwaukee at the time had lost maybe one, maybe two games at, at their uh, home arena. They were just by far the best team um, at home in, in the league. And the Nuggets roll in there, and they make 20-some-odd three-pointers, and they roll out within a victory that nobody thought they were going to get um, with not a full deck of players uh, available to them. Then later in the season, they had exactly seven players available to them in Utah, a place that they never won, <laughs> or just very rarely uh, won in the last, geez, in the, the, the recent past. Um, and they took those seven players, and one of them was a two-way player, and they beat the Utah Jazz in Utah. And so what these little small windows into this team showed me was, okay, well, maybe they, just need, the, maybe they need the adversity. Maybe, the, maybe those, are the, those are the situations which really laser focus them and get them into a space where um, they are operating the way that we would expect that they would operate if, you know, when, when they weren't facing these adverse situations. And so with that as the backdrop, 
Um, yes, I was still, as we all were, surprised that they could come back from 3-1 deficits in the first two rounds of the playoffs and win those series, especially against the competition. Uh, but when you start to talk about the resiliency and how they operate under extreme pressure, I think that we've seen them operate really well under those circumstances more often than they haven't. And that is, was kind of the balancing out that I, that I had to do in my own head when, when watching it all unfold, because, you know, it's, it's though, obviously those situations aren't normal. <laughs> They're not normal. You get down three, one, you're going to lose that series. It's, it's usually how it works and not for this basketball team. Um, I, I think the thing that did was a pleasant surprise to me was their ability to um, use the information given to them uh, through experience uh, in the first few games of a series, turn that information into success on the court in the last three games of a series. And especially against the Clippers, I thought that was true, um, when, when, with, especially with Jamal Murray. And his, it, you know, it, it was, we started the series off, and it was like, oh, gosh, how's he going to get through this? <laughs> it's, it's Patrick Beverly, it's Kawhi, it's Paul George. He can't, there's no possible way he can solve this riddle of all three of these elite defenders, uh, you know, checking him at all times of the game. And then by game seven, he was scoring 40 points. And so I, I think for me that that was my biggest takeaway was, okay, when presented a problem, when presented a roadblock, it's, it's their ability to, as a coaching staff, work through it. And as players use that experience, turn failures into successes that I think will serve them best going forward on when these games are not in bubbles. Yeah. And I think there's probably something to the fact that Jamal's emergence, I think gave them maybe a rock for them to either cling towards or um, someone in out in front to kind of follow. Like that was one of the things that was the, at least I picked up on watching it through the television. Like everyone else was just, it really seemed like Jamal because of his emotion in that clip, in that jazz series, really that from there on out, like he was setting an emotional tone, which I think the team probably needed. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree with you there. And you know, he's, he's the guy that's going to have to do it. I mean, there are a lot of very even keeled players on that nugget squad, uh, but you know, when we all know, and when Jamal gets, you get under his skin or, you know, if he's feeling some kind of way and then all of a sudden he makes a three, then he makes another three. And then all of a sudden the, the arrows are flying all over the place. And now he's, you know, emotionally into it and he's yelling and he's getting in he's, you know, slapping the floor basically on defense. And it's, yeah, you know, it's in sports. I think you need those players. I mean, you need players that can get the level of a team from, from one space to the next. And especially when it was in a bubble, when it would, the atmosphere is so dry and, you know, I mean, there's, there's no energy in those arenas. Where do you get it from? It meant even more that he was able to deep down within, reach down within himself, um, pull that out of himself, and then get that injected into the team as well. And that's going to serve him well. Um, but he, we know that, that Jamal Murray, he really – he rides that emotion uh, about as well as, as anybody. I mean, you make him mad, he's going to play well. I mean, that's basically um, how it's going to be. I, I think for him – the playoffs, his performance in the playoffs was more about, okay, you, you, do you want to be an elite player in this, in, in this league? Because if you do, 
then there are certain things that are required from you. There's a certain level of play required from you, and it doesn't matter who the player across the way is from you. You have to perform every single night against the elite competition. It's not just against the, the bad teams or the average teams or, or I can handle this matchup tonight, so I'm going to have a great series or a great night. Uh-uh. It's the great games. It's the, it's the best games against the best players in the most pressurized circumstances. Can you rise to that level? Can you, can you figure out uh, how to score against Kawhi Leonard? Can you or can you not? Can you figure out how to get uh, to navigate around the court when Paul George is hounding you and is all over? Can you, can you do that or can you not? Because that's the difference between elite players and just very good players. And so for Jamal, it was a situation where he had to look himself in the mirror and say, what kind of, who, who am I? I, I'm, I'm telling everybody out here that I'm, gonna, uh, I'm going to be or I am an elite point guard, but now I have to go out here and show that. And for him, it was a big, big deal. I thought he did that, obviously, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now he's going to have to do this over, over time. You know, two series does not a career make, does not a legacy make, uh, but it certainly is a great start and just a, a really nice – if you thought he was reaching his ceiling, then we all know we, – we all, we all looked at that and said, okay, his ceiling is much higher than that. Yeah, I'm still honestly still in awe of Jamal Murray's jump. I'm just completely in awe of, of what he pulled off. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about some social justice matters with Chris and what that means for the NBA going forward. We'll be right back on Locked on Nuggets. But before we go to break, got to tell you about sportsbang.com. Sportsbang.com is now live and taking action in Colorado. They're the passionate about sports and they're the authority on sports betting. With their own in-house bookmakers, sportsbang.com is known for their sharp odds and low juice, and that means the best prices for you. New players get a welcome bonus, a 100% risk-free week of sports betting up to $500. So you can bet against my Kansas City Chiefs and on your Denver Broncos this weekend. That line's coming down. Both the Chiefs' defensive ends are out. Not feeling great about this one. Sportsbetting.com offers no hassle bonuses with just a one-time playthrough. Take advantage of their NFL touchdown and first touchdown scores. Get your action on at the home of sports betting. That's sportsbetting.com backslash Nuggets. Final segment here on Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for making this part of your day. Chris Dempsey from Altitude, kind enough to join us today. Chris, um, I spoke to you during the protest during the, the pandemic about Black Lives Matter, and you had really great thoughts on it. And I wanted to, while I've got you, uh, get your thoughts on where the NBA goes from here. You know, Jeremy Grant is somebody that's in my mind a lot whenever I see this stuff in terms of he made it clear that he wanted to redirect that the conversation in his media sessions back to Brian Taylor's case over and over again. And so even when he had his good games and was willing to talk to the media and was actually willing to talk basketball, like I wanted to make sure that we opened up with a question about the Taylor case so that he could, uh, he could get his thoughts out. We now know that basically it was a sham and that they never really charged the, <laughs> the officer and that the jury wasn't actually asked to deliberate murder charges. And that's both unsurprising and just galling. Um, the players had really mixed feelings with the NBA's messaging. And that was clear both from the, the shutdown um, midway through the bubble. Uh, and it was clear just in terms of 
of some of the messaging, like, you know, Will Barton had kind of made, had made comments about, he had a really powerful comment about how if we think that jerseys on the names on the back of our jerseys, messages on the back of our jerseys are going to change anything. We're fooling ourselves. I think the, I think the players union did what it needed to do to try and drive effective messaging based off of the experts it talked to and conversations with the league. Um, This issue, it, it, I, I can't sit here and say like it's faded because it never fades because it keeps happening. Mm -hmm. I also can't say that it stayed in the forefront because we're in such a dumpster fire of a year that there's always a new crisis to manage. (laughs) Um, But also like we've seen like this problem predates the NBA bubble. It predates the George Floyd murder. It predates like this is a centuries old problem that continues and we are reckoning with it on a day-to-day basis. I want to know if you had any thoughts on what you think the NBA needs to do going forward to try and do better on this front beyond like, what is the answer to beyond things like jerseys or donating? Like they're setting up a fund, which I think is good. The MBPA is setting up uh, essentially a pack. I think that's really good. I think these ways of operating within the system are good, but I want to know what you thought about are the priorities uh, for the NBA if they want to be serious about taking these actions forward. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I and it's going to be harder now because everybody's not in the bubble. You know, the bubble actually did allow them to uh, really, I, I think, you know, hone in in a in a real way. Um, you know, on the issues and and you know, everybody was there, so it was easy for meetings to happen and information and ideas to flow from one person to another in the league to be able to enact that. Um, on one one or two courts, you know, in a, in a bubble. So um, it gets harder now that everybody's going back to their own market. Everybody is back in their own market. Um, I think, you know, for, uh, you know, the NBA financially is one thing, um, but certainly um, programs that impact um, communities, I, I think has to be the next step because, you know, as, as you mentioned, this, this, this not going away and it never, you know, I don't know if it ever will, but here's what I also know. Even though we're, we're all very focused on November 3rd in terms of vote and there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of that going around and that's great. Um, but that can't be the last day <laughs> either. It's, it's not like, okay, we're good. We voted and whatever the outcome is, is things are going to get better. No, this never stops and it never stops ever. Because there's always another, there's, there's always another issue. There's always another city council vote. There's always another Senate vote. There's always another, you have to continue to uh, be dialed into all of these issues. And so how do you keep the spotlight on that? Well, I think um, as these players and these t- organizations get back to their own arenas and own, in their cities, it's by pouring resources into, co- into communities, pouring um, information into that making sure that uh, whatever um, is happening in that city or in that state, um, that those issues are being highlighted and those players realize, um, hey, A, B, and C is happening in your state right now. Make sure that people, the, the people know that, that people understand how to um, continue to affect change because, um, you know, this change isn't one, one, one big election or one big moment it's a lot of little moments over time that then have a cumulative effect on how we operate as a society going forward. And it's taken this long to 
embed some of the bad stuff into society, it's going to take a while to get that out, that get that rooted out. And it just doesn't happen all in one fell swoop. And I, I, I hope that the, the, the resources, um, you know, just beyond money, um, but manpower, um, information, um, just continue to keep that going because um, it's a lot, a lot of times, Matt, it's the things that are happening locally that'll have the biggest effect, especially on people's day-to-day lives, um, more so than some of the national stuff. Um, but if you, are, if you dial yourself out now, then you'll never get that lasting change that you want. And so that's what we want is lasting change. Have to keep the pedal to the metal, have to stay informed, have to stay active. And now you have to do that in your communities. Um, and, and how does the NBA now help these teams and these individuals continue to push um, for effective change within uh, their, their cities and states? One thing I thought a lot about a lot, and you mentioned the communities thing, like Michael Malone, um, he said that he, like, he used to talk about, like, we need to change things in our communities. He said that years ago, but I think that what's yeah. kind of changed is there's become, I think, a broader awareness. I don't want to speak for Michael too much, but I think there's been a broader awareness from him that it's not just about like changing community dynamics or poverty issues. It's like, no, we actually have to attack racism head on. Like the Elijah McClain case that like, we have to attack, we have to attack and we have to stand up and change these things in our communities that are actively harming our communities. And, and that I yeah, think is part of it. No doubt. And, and part of that, Matt, is how do you view the person next to you? What do you think? What, what, what do you think about the makeup of the person next to you? Do, do you think that he's out to get you? Do you think he's a thief? Do you think he's smart? Do you think um, he's only an athlete? Do you think, what do you think of that person? Because when you break it down to that, when you have respect for the person next to you, when you understand that we are all capable of doing anything we really want to put, put our minds to, then you start to change how, you, how you're operating on a day-to-day basis. So if, uh, if jobs come up, you everybody looks like a good the good candidates look like the good candidates you don't go ah he's black he can't he's just there's no way that he's qualified for this job or um you know he's wearing a hoodie and he's in a store so he must be wanting to steal something uh you know these things are ingrained so bad so 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 deeply that those things have to unravel because when when you start when you have respect for the person next to you you know things can grow from that. And, um, and, and so it's, ugh, boy, it, there, there's so many issues, but yeah. one of them just boils down to, to, okay, how, how about getting to know the race, getting to know the people for who they are instead of what you perceive them to be. And the perception has driven the, the dr- driven the car here uh, year after year after year after year for many, many, um, many decades. And that, those things have to get unraveled as well um, uh, before you can get to some of the other stuff. And I just think the other stuff will fall. I think it'll be a domino effect. You know, w- once, once, the, um, you know w- once we learn who everybody is and just not who we perceive them or who we think they are. Kind of the last thing is just, and we could talk about this for literally like hours because the problem is that big and that important, but yeah. there are time constraints. I think... One thing thing that I, I have kind of thought about a lot is the changing of the status quo, the changing of the norm. And we've seen a lot of that in the negative direction over the last, oh, I don't know, four years, let's put it roughly. <laughs> um, but 
On the other side of that, though, is I think a lot about the polling about Black Lives Matter and that phrase and that movement yeah. in 2014 and the polling of it in 2018 and how public perception has improved and how even yeah. across and like it's marginal across certain uh, partisan lines, but there's still you still see this uptick in improvement of perception of that of that movement and of that phrase and what that really tells you and that's part of it is. It was, it's inconceivable that the NBA would act as a political actor with that kind of political messaging all over its court for a major nationally televised event, <laughs> right? That was, that was inconceivable five, six, seven, eight, 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. massively inconceivable 20 years ago. And yeah. that's now the new norm. We go from the idea of athletes need to shut up and dribble to, well, no, they, they, they don't, they can't. That's too important. Right. We have to, like, they have to be involved in this conversation. And similarly, I think it's great that Chris Paul has taken on the the incentive and along with you know coordination with experts on what can you do to be mm-hmm. like, hey, it's not enough for you just to be angry about this. You have to register to vote. Like yep. you have to be engaged in the political process. Yep. But it's changing these norms and like the changing of the status quo for it to go from, well, this is, you know, it's a complicated political issue. To like, no, this is right and wrong. Like this is simple, like this is not tenable. This is not sustainable for, for our society it's also morally wrong. And these things have to be adjusted for if we're going to go forward because there literally is no other path. And that, that to me is the only way it's like this, there's the, the, the old line about it's essentially a comparison analogy to football where it's like, you want to basically, you're not going for the long bomb. I think of the players, I think that was one of their frustrations is they wanted to go for a yeah. deep touchdown pass and every mm-hmm. expert. And if you read the books and all of these things, and I'm not more of an expert than they are on the issues, but the impression that I've been given from people that are smarter than me on it is like, look, you have to do things to get the ball. Like you got to get yourself into short yard situations and then you get a first down and you just keep moving in the right direction. Um, but part of that also is the further that you get it down, the harder it is for that defense when there is that backlash to drive you in the other direction, to get mm-hmm. you back to where you, you know, back before where you started from. And I think that that's slipped over the past 10 years and that's been a, a huge source of frustration. But I think that maybe the biggest advantage of what happened in the bubble was maybe a reorganization of the status quo for white people to change the way that they approach these conversations and accept different parameters going into the conversations that have to be had. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, the the touchdown pass because, you know, there was a point this year where it seemed like it was a touchdown pass. Because you know what? After, after so many videos of so many black men being shot and or killed, um, and then Brianna Taylor's situation uh, as as uh, being killed in her own uh, apartment. Um, I think we finally got to an inflection point where everybody was like, "Wait, what?" I, you know, even if you thought before, see, I, I would think ten to fifteen years ago, you would still get a, a big majority of people, um, uh, you know, non-black people who they would say, you know, it's I, I hear what they're saying, but I don't see this every day. So I mean, I, I don't really know if it's really really real. And it just, it just finally, you, you have so many videos and this is just the social media age and technology. And I think technology has played a huge, huge part in getting this movement really off the ground. Um, finally, everybody, you, you had to look at it and go, what? Again? Another one? What, what, what is happening? And, and they've been saying this for years and I'm now, now I get it because I see it. And the power in video and the power of the, the, the cumulative effect of all, all the, all the uh, footage um, has been, boom, now you get 
massive marches, massive pro uh, around the world. I mean, we, you know, you would have been hard pressed to get one of those to a, bit, a large scale in a particular city, much less uh, in, in a country or in on the globe. And so that was the touchdown pass. Okay. But it's not just that you, you don't win the game seven to zero, <laughs> you know, right. you, you know, you, you, there's still more quarters to play. There's still more possessions to be had. And that's where we are now. It's, this is another possession and it's a game, but this is the never ending game. And that was, I think this is, you know, listen, I'm, I'm middle age and, and getting older, but you know, these players are young and, you know, not only are so many of them understanding the importance of, of voting right now, but they are going to come to understand that it is a lifelong commitment to change. And you can't just, you, you can't just dig yourself in the trenches for, even if you think it's been, okay, it's been a year, it's been two years, I'm good. Nope, you're never good. You're, you're never good. You're only good when you have done, when you're 90 years old and you've passed that torch on to your children and your grandchildren to keep on going. Because um, you know, the way this cycle works, the way um, especially, you know, government works and, and you know, stuff in, in this country is, it's a cycle it, and it continues to, it's, a, it's continuous. There's always going to be more elections. There's always going to be more issues. There's always going to be more problems that have to be solved. And they will never be, they'll, they'll never end. And as long as there are always individuals who are pushing back against some of this stuff, then you know it will never end. And so this is, this is early in the first quarter <laughs> of, of, especially for the young, these, these young people, young players, young people in general, uh, for what they need to do. And I think they'll understand that over time. And I think some of them understand that right now. Um, but, but certainly you're right. I mean, this is, it's incremental and that's why I talked about now you got to get into your communities and what's wrong and, and how do you, um, you know, how do you start to solve things? How do you mend fences? Um, how do you, um, uh, how do you help readjust how law enforcement works or how do you, uh, you know, all these things have to be sorted out and they take a long time, a long, long time, but you can't do it. Um, in one fail swoop, and you have to have stamina, uh, because if you don't have it, you're going to take some L's. There's there's been there's been a lot of there's been more W's this this year than L's in terms of the movement getting off the ground, um, a lot of people getting on board, um, and and just the eyes and the acceptance and the the activism of a lot of people. Okay, but but okay, so but but understand, there's going to be L's uh, that that come uh, you know along the way as well. You have to deal with them. You have to press on. And, um, you know, so, uh, that, that, that is going to be something that, that I, that they'll understand and they'll come to, to find out more, um, as they continue on in their lives and, and, in this movement. Yeah. And we're all learning as 2020 continues. Uh, that's Chris Dempsey. Thanks very much for joining me. I really appreciate it, Chris. You're the best. I appreciate you, man. I'll wrap it up for Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Chris Dempsey for taking some time uh, to talk with us today. Really love that conversation. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Hope everything is great in your world. And we'll have more Nuggets news comes out as well as the NBA. We'll finally know when this next season is going to start. Very exciting. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow the show on Twitter at Nuggets. Until next time, I'm Matt Moore. We'll see you again.